This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 107.5 FM, Unholstered. Here we go. It is time for another edition of Unholstered. Welcome on in. I am just one of your hosts, Kayla Blakesley, and I'm sitting alongside my co-host, Sophia. Good morning, everyone. I'm Captain Sophia Rosales-Catina from the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to Unholstered. That's right. If you've never tuned in before and you're wondering why I'm hanging out with law enforcement, that's because that is what this show is all about. The local media teaming up with our local law enforcement department here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to share and tell all of the stories that don't often get told when it comes to backing our men and women in blue. That is truly what this show is all about. And Sophia, for folks who have maybe missed previous episodes of Unholstered, because we've been doing this for a while now, we have. Um, you can download previous episodes of Unholstered anywhere you can download a podcast. Just search for Unholstered. While you're doing that, you might want to check out the episode we did a couple of weeks ago about the Uvalde mass shooting there at the elementary school in Texas. And I say that, Sophia, because that is kind of what we're also going to talk about again today since we've learned a lot more about it. We are. We've, um, over the course of the last few weeks since this incident happened, we've I've had a lot of people actually approach me um, to talk about it. They're concerned. They're concerned that what our policies are here, what are what, what steps would we take, those kinds of things. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to kind of recap everything and maybe go over that, because we didn't touch on that on the last show as much. Uh, but I did bring on someone to help me do that. Um, I brought Lieutenant Kevin Zelt back. He's been on before. Kevin, he, welcome back. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Thank you very <laughs> He's much. He's a former... Um, Can I SWAT make a comment team? here about <laughs> yes, Kevin? Go ahead. Okay, you just said former SWAT team member. I was gonna, yeah. I was gonna comp, you know, comment on his wardrobe today. <laughs> right. He's in civilian clothes. He's got like this Hawaiian print shirt on. I about didn't recognize you when you walked in, Kevin. Yeah, a lot more comfortable and laid back today than than normal. <laughs> yeah, and that um, because because he was a former uh, SWAT commander, um, but he is now no longer doing that. He's now in the investigative division. Uh, but I just want to kind of give him his props because he has been the longest uh, command commander for the SWAT team um, in the Fort Wayne PD history. Um, he's had thousands of operations, and he's just a very intelligent, thoughtful, um, kind of no-holds-bar kind of guy, and the guy you want on a scene with you. So I just want to acknowledge that and acknowledge his um, service to that team in our community. So though you, though you have retired then with SWAT, yes. you're still... A part of the Fort Wayne, an active part of the yes. Fort Wayne Police Department. Yes. yes, yes. I'm a lieutenant in the investigative division, and uh, th- this is my second week of retirement from SWAT. <laughs> How does so, it feel? Uh, I mean, you get to wear normal good. clothes, obviously. Th- that's right. Yeah, no, it feels good. I mean, there are obviously some aspects I'm sure I'm going to miss in the future, but uh, I was with it for 33 years and 2,000 or so wow. operations, and it was it was just time. Well, uh, we are going to put your knowledge and your expertise of SWAT, hopefully to good use today as we talk more about this mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. But before we kind of get into that and protocol and what happened, what didn't happen, what maybe should have happened, Kevin, can you kind of catch everyone up? Because I know we've learned a lot since when the shooting occurred. So as of today, what are the facts? What do we know? Without going into great detail of the the incident from the very beginning, I think everybody's pretty clear on the fact that, you know, you had this young man uh, who took a rifle, uh, ended up in a school, uh, and ended up in a locked classroom with uh, children and teachers. And the big question, of course, was was a response by the primarily the, the chief of the school police department were his actions appropriate. Well, over the weekend, he has given his side of events, which have not been heard up until now. Uh, now, he did give them through his lawyer. And I would uh, do the disclaimers first off that none of us here in this room or anywhere in the sound of my voice knows for a fact what happened there. Okay, we're going by media reports, uh, which can be uh, mistaken, erroneous, etc. And uh, we don't know 
what the truth is until there's a complete investigation. Um, assuming the chief is telling the truth, this is, this is his story. Uh, he states that when he arrived there, he believed he was the first officer in the scene. And what he did was he grabbed his firearm and he ran into the school to confront the shooter, which, in my opinion, is exactly what he should have done. Yes. Uh, he's come under a lot of criticism. Uh, there, I've seen some so-called experts. That. What's that? He, that? He's come under criticism for doing that. There, yes, I've, I've read some experts that have said, no, as the chief, he should have started organizing from the outside. And my point to that would hmm. be, do you remember a couple of years back, there was a school resource officer that uh, while... Children were being killed 10 feet inside a door. He stood outside the door behind a pillar and did just that, you know, where he was trying to direct traffic into the place and Florida. never engaged. Yeah, and isn't, isn't active shooter protocol, the first officer that arrives armed, is the one that's technically supposed to engage the shooter? Yes, a- absolutely. And, and if what the chief describes is correct, he did exactly what he okay. should have done. Uh, he went in there. Now, there were a few things that I think he made personal errors on, but I don't think any of them were probably mission critical. Uh, He claims he, uh, when he got into the hallway, he was joined by another local police officer. Keep in mind, you got two agencies, the the, uh, school police department. And that's what he's part of. Which he's the chief, and there's there's only six officers assigned to that department. And he came into into contact with one of the local officers, and they made their way down the hallway. Teachers were telling them where the problem was. When they got to the uh, area where this classroom was, where the man was inside, they were met by other officers from the local police department who were coming from the opposite direction. The chief uh, states that he was the first one to get to the door. He tried the door, and unfortunately, it was locked and, of course, barricaded from the inside because that's what the doors were designed to do, keep you know violent people out. Mm-hmm. Now it was working against them. Uh, he did not have his radio with him. And did not have his keys with him. Now, I don't know if he had master keys that would have gotten him in, but I would assume that as the chief of police, he probably would have. I would, I would certainly hope so. So those could be fouls, I suppose, that, that he made. The radio, uh, he claims he didn't take his radio because the clip that holds it to his belt, he thought it would fall off. And he thought that there's a whip antenna that would whip him in the back. Now, I'm going to going to cry foul on that. I think that's not an appropriate excuse. And Sophia, back me up on this. How long did it take you when you were just a brand new police officer to learn that you don't go into a bar fight without a radio? <laughs> Very quickly. Very quickly. Days, Do you wear probably. one right now, Sophia? Do you have one on? Radio? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm going to cry foul on that one, but I don't know that it was it would have made that much a difference. Uh, he tried to get keys Uh, so that they could try to make entry. Uh, He said he did not tell people not to enter because it was a barricade. That's what uh, the local chief police claimed, was that he told everybody to stay out because he was deeming it a barricade. Uh, This chief of the school police department says that is not the case. Hmm. They just couldn't get in. He used his cell phone to call for someone to bring him keys. Now, you know, lack of radio may have delayed that to some extent, but they got keys. Uh, the keys that they got him had upwards of a dozen or more keys. He quietly tried to open the door with the keys. Now, keep in mind, prior to that, as soon as the chief had tried the door, the man started shooting through the door and through the walls. So, I mean, they obviously had to be very careful. He was trying to open the door with the keys quietly, and none of them unlocked the door. Oh, my gosh. He was able to get another set of keys in there, and eventually they were able to find a key that worked, and by this time... 
uh, the Border Patrol SWAT team. They were there waiting with them, and as soon as they got the door open, uh, they went in and they engaged the shooter. Now, there were initial reports that he had ordered people to not make entry into the room, and Border Patrol and local officers said that there was a command given over the radio that they were not to make entry. Now, this chief of police for the school department did not have a radio, so I don't know how he would have made that command. When the uh, local police have been questioned, if they have any idea who gave that order, they have not given a reply. So there hmm. seems to be some confusion uh, as to whether there was an order given not to make entry, and if it was, by whom. But that is the, the police chief story of the, uh, the school police department. If his story... Uh, is in fact true, I would have to say that uh, nothing he did was inappropriate. He acted appropriately. He did the best he could. He made some mistakes, yes, but I don't think that any of those mistakes were probably in the end mission critical. So was it the local police that, because at one point the shooter was considered an active shooter, and then it seems that changed, like to you said, to a barricaded suspect. Yeah. Do you know who made that change? Because I know then protocol changes, strategy changes. To me, that's, that's a big thing. And I guess what I'm trying to understand, Kevin, is who made that call and why did it not stay an active shooter situation? Yeah, well, it's here. We, what we have to get into here is terminology. And what it seems to me is we're dealing with two different terms. Uh, generally speaking, the accepted definition of a barricaded suspect is a person or persons who are armed by themselves barricaded in a structure and refusing to come out and there is some pressing public safety need to take them into custody this would be somebody like a murder suspect a bank robber that's by themselves in a structure in other words they have no hostages nobody else this chief gave his definition of what he meant what he claims that he meant was the man had hostages he had he was possibly actively killing but he was barricaded to the point they couldn't get in so you have two different terms um he claims he never told anyone to not attempt entry. They just couldn't. They wanted to, but could not do it because of the door. And until they got a key, there was absolutely nothing more they could do about it. So is it possible that somewhere in that communication via radio, cell phone, whatever it was, when when someone said, hey, he's barricaded inside, that that got lost in translation from active shooter to barricaded suspect? I mean, is that possible? Yes, I'd say that's... And that's probably what that's happened. entirely possible. I would say it's even even probable or likely. Um, he, he was simply referring to the fact that, hey, this man is inside. He's barricaded. We can't get to him. Um, other people may have misinterpreted that to mean yeah. he's by himself. You know, it's, it's a barricade. Uh, the chief in, the, of the school police indicates that at no time did he tell people to stop. Uh, he wanted to get into that room, but they just couldn't do it. Now, we're assuming that that's the truth. But if that isn't case, uh, or in fact the case, I would have to say you got to give them the benefit of doubt. They did the best they could and just didn't have the resources or ability to do that. You know, if he'd have had his keys with him, could it have been different? Maybe. But I don't know that he had a master key. I think what we got to do in this case, as in all cases, is we, first off, we got to avoid this rush to judge that our nation just wants oh, to go yeah, for. Yeah, we do that all now. the time. We're good at that. <laughs> yes, the rush to judge. And the Department of Justice is going to do a thorough investigation. And I think what we need to do is wait until that investigation is complete. And I think you'll have a much better picture of what happened. And, you know, uh, what, what I will find or what I'm interested in is 
What do the other officers on the scene have to say? Will they back up his version of events or will they say, no, that's not what happened. He told us this. He did this. You know, that I think that'll be the key. Well, we know, though, not to say that people are deliberately lying, but we know like in, in, ter- in times of stress, high stress, combat situations, that people forget what they say, what they do. We've had officers not remember mm-hmm. how many fires or shots they fired. We've had officers not remember saying things that they said. So it, this may not be a, a case of I'm deliberately lying. It's just I, j- I literally don't remember mm-hmm. what, what happened or what I did. I'll do that on the air. Uh, if you listen on a regular basis, you know that I host my own radio program Monday through Friday. I'll mm-hmm. get down with a segment and I'll be like, I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> yeah, and I'll stress enough, you know, this is why training is so important and training, consistent training and the right training. Because like I said before, what you do in training comes out when you're out there. So many people reached out to me, Sophia, because of you and what you said on our last uh, few episodes ago when we talked about this. You said it was a Navy SEAL quote, and I hope I don't botch it, but you said that you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. Yeah. And that spoke to a lot of our listeners. Yeah, it does. And it's and I'm standing here before you because I know that to be fact, you know, and I I as I go back through my police career and I'm in different situations and different potentially bad situations and I'm, I don't even think I just do because this is what I have been taught. And this is, it's, and it's always changing. It's always improving as we go along and we learn different things. And like I said, I can't give enough kudos to our Academy staff who keeps up on everything, these national trends, these things that are happening all over. And then we adjust our training to make sure our officers know what to maybe what to expect. I mean, we can't pick it, you know, the day we don't pick the day, the day picks us. So, um, but having that thought that I, this is something that could happen, potential could happen and something I can win because mindset is everything. You know, I am not going down. You, if you get in a fight with me, I, I might not win. I might not be the strongest person, but you're going to know you're in a fight. Mm-hmm. And I am till my last breath, I will fight you. That I can't tell you how that warms my heart because that's I, from I, Kevin Zell. That's because Kevin Zell. I was the Academy staff when <laughs> Sophia went through and I know Early in her career in the academy, there had to be times when she went home absolutely hating and despising me because I said things like that. Kevin, it was three years that I didn't like you after I graduated the academy. Kevin, I've heard these stories about you, and this is the second time you've been in studio now, and you seem like such a charming, kind fellow. He was awful. He's a former drill instructor. He was in my jibs every day but i tell you what it made me the officer i am today yeah. and it made me stronger and i appreciate that because I, I think my mom even said you know she's like well qu- you don't like it quit and i'm like oh oh i ain't quitting not gonna happen <laughs> no nope. not gonna happen well let me let me flip the script on you here just a little bit kevin and i know it's not quite fair to ask you this question um because you have more information than what these officers did obviously at the time that these events were unfolding right but here we've got conflicting communication let's say you you are there and you are a part of this team going in this school you're, you're told essentially i don't want to say to stand down but you're kind of hanging out there in the hallway just waiting mm-hmm. essentially because that's as keys are being tossed around communication is trying to happen it's kind of chaotic what would you have done i mean i just i have a hard time yeah imagining just standing there knowing that there is a man inside this classroom with kids and he's armed and he is firing off rounds to the wall uh, he's already fired rounds. I mean, that almost makes me sick to my stomach thinking I, you know, I got to obey my chief and I got to listen to my commanding officer. But that just makes me sick to my stomach to think about just standing there. What you got to keep in mind is it sounds to me. And once again, I'm going back to let's assume that everything that the chief of police is it's saying true, is true. Yeah. They followed everything. They did everything correct. They went in. They were hunting down the shooter. They're looking for him. They locate where he's at. And then they run in an obstacle they can't overcome. What else can you do? Um 
I th- they didn't have a problem with with tactics. They had a problem with logistics. Mm-hmm. You know, tactics are. If this goes down, what are we going to do? What, what's our response going to be? Well, our response is going to be we're going to go find them and we're going to engage them. Um, the logistics is making sure that all those protocols and tools and resources that you would need to do that are in place. In other words, you know, uh, are we going to have the ability to gain access to rooms? Are we going to have tools if we need them, breaching tools and things like this? Uh, I can tell you this locally. Uh, if, we would en- if we would encounter something like that, uh, we have, on a street level, breaching tools available. Now, probably not as many as we'd like to have, but we do have them available. In fact, in the Ravenscroft incident, if you recall, when I did we the debrief on it, that, yeah. um, one of the officers in the rear of the stack is carrying a battering ram when they go in. Okay, I was going to ask that question, too, and again, I don't know if I'm getting too like Hollywood here, but when you are, and again, I'm sure they have less resources than we do here in of course. Fort Wayne. It, is that what's it called? A, a battering ram. Okay. Yeah. Are they not carrying one of those or have one of those handy? Like obviously that up not. The rear here? Yeah, obviously not. And, and in our department, I mean, not everybody does. We have them in supervisors and certain people in specialty units have them. Things like this. Uh, we also have uh, pretty much round the clock uh, the availability to get explosives um, to to blow doors. Um, now that's going to take longer than a battering ram or a key, but we do have that ability. Uh, to get that done. And we have had people able to respond and get charges placed very, very quickly in some cases, just because they happen to be close. The other thing that, the only other thing I can look that they could have done that would have made perfect sense to me is if we can't get through the this obstacle, I've never been in a school where every classroom didn't have windows. windows. That, okay, this is something else I was going to ask you. Do we know yeah. if there were windows and could a sharpshooter shoot through those windows well here, here am i getting to hollywood again no no you're, you're you're being accurate but what um i have gone online and looked at the school okay it appears to me from what i can see every classroom had windows and i've been able to locate what i think were the two rooms and they had windows now you might not be able to make entry through them and, and what they also point out was this chief pointed out that the room was dark because the teachers had shut the lights off which was part of their protocol so people outside couldn't see. But, you know, you might not be ma- able to make entry, but you can sure bust windows out and try okay. to get a shot through the window um, or at least, you know, get the shooter's attention. You know, uh, weapons mounted flashlights and things like this. I mean, I got to believe that they broke windows to, to evacuate kids from other rooms. Mm-hmm. If you can break the windows to evacuate them from other rooms, why can't you break the windows uh, where the problem is? If you can evacuate to get out, why can't or to break them to get out? Why can't you break them to get in? Yeah. Now going in through the window is kind of a suicide thing, but you can shoot. Certainly establish what we call cover ports, and that is you can shoot through the window. Right. Okay. Um, so you know that would have been something that I would have explored. You know, uh, very quickly. Okay, we've come at an obstacle. What's the other alternative? Let's. I mean, I don't know how establishing a cover port and trying to engage a suspect from a window is more dangerous than using a key and going through the door. They're both equal, if you ask me. If he's engaging us, he's not engaging the children. That's right. Mm -hmm. One of the first things you want to do is get that person's attention off of their victims and get them on to something else. It's, you know, the whole what they call the OODA loop concept in that. In other words... Uh, you know, and, and Sophia, you, uh, you know, you were a negotiator. If they're talking to a negotiator, they're at least occupied with something other than killing people. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, they're if you're busting windows and they're shooting at where they think the police are coming in, they're at least not thinking about their victims. And so that that's one area I think they could have explored that I, I think here we would have certainly explored. But, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't. 
have you discovered or do you know in terms of what they did have at their disposal in terms of resources? Because that's a good lesson Sophia taught us just a couple of weeks ago. They are a much, much smaller department, their local department, that is, right. uh, than what we have, obviously, here in Fort Wayne. And I think sometimes people forget that, um, that not every police department across the country has what we have. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about, well, first off, let's let's look at the chief um, of the school department. He had six officers and himself. I mean, I got to imagine resources were very scarce. For example, when he talks about the radio, one of his concerns was, hey, when we were in the hallway, we had to turn our radios off so we, he wouldn't hear us because when he would hear people, he would shoot through the walls towards them. Well, most agencies have earpieces. Ear yeah. yeah. I mean, so obviously he didn't even have access to those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, he, he, he states that he was hunting the gunman with a pistol. That's less than ideal. Yeah. So they obviously didn't even have weaponry uh, accessible to them at the time that would meet that threat, you know. So, I mean, I don't think if, in fact, his statements are true, you can't blame him for lack of courage. He didn't have lack of courage. He was going to the threat. He had minimal resources, but he was going anyway. He went right up to the door and tried to open it, couldn't, and then they were stuck at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that every police department in this entire country that has a school system within their jurisdiction should have access to patrol rifles and should have proper training. That should be a bare minimum. Because if you're going in, because most of these things happen, these, these kids, these, and a lot of times these are just kids. We, I think we forget sometimes these are teenage kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the ones that have happened over the course of the last few years have been, they're just children. And, but they're armed. They're armed better than a lot of the police departments. Yeah. So if we if if we really want to start somewhere, we need to adequately supply our police departments with the weaponry needed to do the job sufficiently. That's why this defund the police rhetoric movement to me is just this is a perfect example of why it's so infuriating. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When people say defund, I, I feel like they truly don't know what they mean. They don't. I mean, and they, they just assume that everyone is like them and everyone's good yeah. and good hearted. But we can see across this nation that is simply not true. Yeah. All you have to do is look at the communities where they have embraced the defund movement and see what's happening at their crime rates. I mean, it's it's you don't have to be a genius. You don't. That will not. Well, they just they just uh, recalled the prosecutor in San Francisco because of his policies. So. So moving forward, I mean, obviously, Sophia just kind of put forward a solution. But what do you think is at least a, a solution or some solutions when it comes to keeping are kiddos safe with, while they're at school? I mean, I know a lot of people throw out, you know, arming teachers or more security or having only one en- entrance into the building. You know, do you have any thoughts on that? I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, well, part of the problem is, of course, America is one of those countries. We want to live in a country that's risk-free, but that's just not possible. Yeah. It's not humanly possible. Um, we can, you know, we could obviously do better. Um, if you look at, uh, and, and people get angry when you talk about this, but if you look at nations like Israel that deals with terror every single day, you know, they've got systems for protecting their schools that maybe we ought to look into uh, as far as checkpoints and doors and things. But one of the problems we run into is Americans don't like to be inconvenienced. Mm. And, and they want to pay for things. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to pay for things. They don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want their kids being scared because, you know, you see police officers and going through checkpoints and things like this. It can be scary. But the fact of the matter is, um, I think uh, if, if children start out with that environment, they just don't think anything of it. I mean, if you're bringing kids into school at kindergarten and they're going through doors a certain way and going through certain protocols, it just becomes second nature. It's, it's nothing that's going to scare them. I tell you what, where we take my kid to daycare, which I've, I will never reveal where that's at sure. publicly. But we walk in, we have to go through multiple locked doors and have our retinas scanned. 
to even be able to unlock the door. Oh, and that's that's excellent. I, I think mean, that's yeah. excellent too. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that we were drawn to this particular location for our child. And but at the same time too, I also acknowledge that not everybody else has the luxury to be able to afford that because it's not cheap. I'll be the first one to say that too. Right. With with those kinds of security systems, comes a cost. Right. Um, and so that's why I go back to, you know, not all Americans want to pay for that or can pay for that, you know. Especially nowadays. <laughs> Especially yeah, but, nowadays. but look at the money we spend in our schools for things. Yep. And what are our children worth? I think that's the could, bottom line. We could cut a few. There's a few classes I could think of that come to the top of frame of mind. A couple of activities that we could cut out to allocate more funds. Yeah. I mean, and, and in our training, I think I have... Lieutenant Grossman's book on combat mm-hmm. with me. And I use that as a reference for a lot of things I was looking up for this show. He talks about school shootings in here, and it's a really good book. It's, it's about the psychological effects of, of combat, what people go through when they're in combat. It's an excellent book. So On Combat by Lieutenant Grossman. Uh, but I, I believe he was the one, though, that said what had talked about when you want to strike terror, you strike the children. Oh, yep. absolutely, yeah. Because that That's will horrifying. that get pe- that gets people included, and we saw it in Russia, and I can't remember the town it was at, and I know you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, it, it took me a while to think about, it, but yeah, I, I I know which one you're talking when about. When a there. group of terrorists just an- annihilated a whole school and parents and children inside the school, yeah, it was the a small gym. village, very very yeah. small town. Um, but that struck terror throughout the whole country, and if you want to do that, then you strike at children because that's what that's what kills us as mm-hmm. a society. I do want to wrap this up. Um, again, on the book on combat, there's a paragraph in here that, I, or a couple paragraphs that was just, just kind of harkens to the point we've been making these past two shows. And it goes, as a warrior, you might one day face the single most difficult task that any person will ever have to face, to decide whether to use deadly force and take a life. Most likely, you will have to make that decision in a pl- split second in the most toxic, corrosive environment known to man, combat, the realm of the universal human phobia. If you choose to take a life when you should not, or if you fail to take a human life when you should, a world of hurt will come down on you. This is not an impossible task. It's a hero's task, a warrior's task. It is immensely difficult. But if we did not have men and women willing to walk out the door and face the challenge every day, within the span of a generation, our civilization will no longer exist. That's really good, because I think it goes back to how Kevin kind of started off this conversation. You know, we're all so quick to judge judge our first responders, judge local law enforcement, but we need to stop and take a moment to praise our heroes. If you have missed any previous episodes of Unholstered, you could download them anywhere you download podcasts. Uh, Sophia, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about Uvalde when the shooting actually happened, kind of really broke down protocol for how it's actually handled here in our area um, and how how that looks and feels and plays out. So if you missed that one, download it as well. Anywhere you can download a podcast, just search for Unholstered. Your town, your team, your topics, this is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.